Welcome to Build. This is Maggie. Today, I have Adam Thomas on the show. He's a principal at Approaching One, his coaching practice focused on helping first-time product leaders figure out what to do. He also writes for Built In, and he recently wrote a post on research that I really wanted to ask him about and dig into a little bit more. So today we get into why just doing research isn't enough, how you have to sell your research, tips and tricks that we've both learned along the way that have helped both of us in our careers, and why you should always look for cultures that value critique. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the show. It is really, really good to be here. Thank you, Maggie. Yes. I know I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. So I know there's a million things we could talk about, but you recently wrote an article about how to make research matter. And I loved that one of the themes in your article was that it it's really just not enough to do research, but we have to figure out how to package that research up and make it useful for our teams and our stakeholders. So where I would love to start is just a quick level set on what you meant by research. So in your opinion, like what are the types of research that you think product people should be focused on daily, monthly, quarterly, something like that? I think it's critical for all product people to have a hand in every type of research that's happening in an organization. Because one of the things I find that product should hang its hat on is company alignment. And through that, the decision science of a company and the decision fitness. In respecting that, I think it's critical that product people, even if they are not running said research, they should be advocating said research. They should have their eyes on it and making sure that that research not only fits the standards of an organization, along with the research team that may be there, but also making sure that that research and the uh, alignment of that research is focused on what the company is ultimately trying to do. What are the big bets that the company is taking on? Right. And I think it's easy It's easy if you're a PM to be thinking about, okay, I'm supposed to be talking to customers, but there's so much more than just talking to customers. A, you have to talk to them, but B, how do you talk to them? You know, How do you make sure that your questions are good? So like, what's the kind of advice that you're giving to PMs on that topic? Sure. It's funny. I wanted to expand that point too, right? It's not just important to talk to customers. It's important to talk to vendors, right? It's important to talk to sales to figure out how things are are moving. In terms of newer PMs trying to figure out how to get engaged with research, I think it's critical that those PMs really do their own research on how to answer questions and how to do the scientific method. I think those two things are critical for new PMs to understand how to grab the insights that they need. Far too often, research is handled with almost kid gloves, where product folks just come up with ideas on what they're trying to understand or trying to research. They don't have, they don't put the discipline into writing out a full-blown research study or really digging into possible hypotheses and, and making them falsifiable in order to, to make the research matter, right? Which helps with everything else in terms of the, the visibility and the selling of it. The problem, again, is, is it's not the discipline of that research isn't taken seriously. And, and that is something that, at least within what I like to call the lab, which is when we're doing our research, PM should be in charge of. It's what PM should be working on in order to make a better, make a more impactful research study. Right. 
Yeah, I think it's definitely, we were talking about this before when we connected, but there's certainly this idea that if you're lucky enough to have a research team, that team could be, you know, okay, hey, research team, we're looking for validation on this idea, or we're looking to test this prototype, and you kind of off they go, and then they come back with research. And that's not really like it, right? That that doesn't mean that the task is done because you have to sort of do something with that research and make it useful. And I think that's sort of what you're getting at with like the PM needs to be involved because you have to, as a PM, you have to understand what those insights are, right? Like you have to be pulling them out of the research. So how do you help, like you talked about this in the article a little bit, but what's your approach or how do you help PMs think about taking that research once it's done and packaging it up for executives? There are three things that a PDM needs to do or three areas that that PDM needs to have locked down in order to make research consistently impactful. The first part of that is what I mentioned before, which is the discipline. Even though these stakeholders may not look back at, at the work and, and like they may just be looking for recommendations, it's important that your research has the discipline of something that may be looked at because there might be somebody that takes a spot check of your research, right? And if if it's all over the place and they can't find what they're looking for, they're going to discount that research in the future. So it's important that you have a research study that is fully laid out. It's critical that you make sure your hypotheses are falsifiable and that all these things, your insights from the research, whether big or small, are somewhere that people can look at and draw their own conclusions in their work. Because ultimately, the health of your research practice is going to depend on its foundations. And a lot of that foundation comes from the discipline that researchers need to be putting into how they store and how they come up with that research. The next thing that has to be done is it has to be visible. And this is where a lot of teams end up failing or flailing. They tend to hold their research back until it's in a perfect state. And what that ends up doing is it puts a lot of pressure on people that are trying to use this research. They're going to have a lot of questions when you come with that big research presentation or extravaganza, and they might get some of it there. But the odds are they're going to say, this is cool, and they're going to walk away. Far better for a PDM or researcher to invite other teams into their research practice, invite other folks into the lab, let them see how this research is coming about. And what that does is it's, it's two things. One, it makes your research practice more respected because people are going to see the good work that you're doing. And engaging with the customer is always going to be something that, for the most part, I think everybody in an organization wants to do in some way, shape, or form. They want to see how what they're working on is affecting people. The other thing that that does is they're going to go talk to their management or the people that make decisions about this research, and it's going to pique interest. So by the time that you're going to, you need to do that big quarterly blowout, which I still recommend. I think that's something that I think leads and and PM should be doing. When it comes to that, they already come with some concepts or some things that they're curious about that'll make that session more interactive as opposed to just being a one-sided presentation. And I think lastly is back to that presentation, right? And, And in general is the selling part of making research useful. It is important that you give people what they want 
in terms of the insights that they're giving. Like far too many teams tend to just put everything in there or they put what they think is important. When the truth is research is its impact over intent. Like people don't care about the things they don't care about. What we're trying to do with our research is to make an impact in the product because if we're not making that impact, then it's useless. So when you sell, you should do what salesmen do. Salesmen do, right? When in Rome, do what Romans do. Find out what's impactful to the person that you're talking to. Find out what medium they like it in. Sometimes they're not going to want a presentation, right? I had a, an engineering manager that loved to see things in transcripts. He wanted to read the transcripts, which is something that most ex- executives aren't going to want to do. But I provided those transcripts for him. So again, when he comes to that meeting or when he talks to his engineering director, he has a way to, to link back to the research that we're doing. Repeating things seven, seven times, right? What are the most impactful things? And, and using something like the rule of seven to make sure that it sticks in folks' heads. Because again, all of this is in the name of making this stuff impactful to ultimately change the direction of your product. And if you're not making it, if you're not keeping it disciplined and you're not keeping your research visible and you're not selling that research, it just ends up in a Google Drive somewhere where it's not going to help anyone. Yeah. I think a couple of things that this brings up for me that I've definitely seen and resonate with me is that the first point that you made about discipline and being transparent about your approach to the research. And part of that, I there was a, a presentation I made, I don't know, a month or a couple months ago, maybe. And one of the things that I did that ended up being really useful was I didn't really want to go into sort of every single customer I talked to and every single thing that we did, but I showed, I had one slide and I just showed, you know, these are the questions that we asked, we were asking. This was our approach to the interview. And here are the 15 customers that we talked to. And here, and then, you know, on another side, like here's three quotes that I got that I think are relevant, but just being able to show like there was a common set of questions. We spoke to lots of people and here are some quotes made the person I was talking to kind of go, okay, great. They, they're doing their job. Like I, I trust that they have put enough rigor into this that I can go along with this presentation and assume that they've done the work. Whereas if I had just said like, here's the conclusion I came to without showing my work on that sort of first part, I don't think it would have been as believable. 100%. And that hits on, that's a perfect example that you're not just selling the research itself, you're selling the concept of research to people. Yeah. And then I think it also gets to the third point you made about selling the research. One of the things that I talk to PMs about a lot on the team here is, and you were talking about this, like who is your stakeholder? So you mentioned you had the engineering manager who wanted to see the transcripts. I talk a lot about, okay, if you are presenting to a VP or a C-suite person, they have very different timeframes, timescales, things they care about, things they know. And so take everything you have and think about, cut it down to what they need to hear versus if you're presenting to me or an engineering lead, like we're going to want 10 times more context in detail. And just even just going through that exercise of like, okay, well, what does this person care about? Yes. And I often recommend folks to, to read Barbara Mento on this. I think she has that pyramid principle, which is a perfect way to sum things up for executives because they don't want to read, right? And and they have a bunch of things that they're looking for. Their, their heads are in the clouds, as they should be. That's what they're supposed to be doing. To try to give them stuff from the earth, right? It's just going to bore them and you're not going to get what you need. 
everything that we do, especially as product people, needs to have some sort of reaction. Because if it doesn't have some sort of reaction or some some pull into keeping the company aligned, it should be a memo or it, it should be something that you know we, we don't spend any time on. Far too often, teams treat research as if folks are supposed to just get it in the way that they get it. And what ends up happening is all the work that we do as product people, when it comes to making sure that we understand that customer, yeah, it just goes out the window. Right. I'm trying to think about a, a, an example of that in for my life recently. And I think maybe on that same one I was talking about earlier about making that presentation, part of what we were doing was we wanted to make sure that we were not biasing ourselves with the conclusion that we kind of already had in our head. So we had some really strong ideas about what we wanted to build, and we were nervous that we were going to confirmation bias our our research. And so we were trying to be really strict about the questions we asked to make sure that we didn't come to the conclusion that we already wanted to come to. And I think that's a good example of like being specific about and like we talked a lot about how we tied that together and why we asked those questions. And we tried to like tie all the dots together so that someone who would look at the conclusions would understand like why we got to where we got. That is funny because my next article for Built In is actually on that very topic. Cognitive bias is the thing that product has the most space to fight. Once we get out of that insecurity, like I love Matt LeMay, right? And he's talking about the insecurity of product. Once we break out of that insecurity of product and we get out of this feeling of like, oh, we don't have a thing that we offer. We don't have an output We can come to realize that the best thing we can do is help manage the decision fitness of the company and the teams that we're a part of. And managing bias and in some respects, you know, tampering it down where we can and in some respects using it is extremely important in terms of making a company as aligned as it can be. And then also in order to get the best product out when uh, the market is asking for it. Yeah. And I think that to tie it back to research, I think that's why being clear about the research that you're doing. Usually when I talk about research, I talk about like the questions you're asking and just being clear about the questions and for lack of a better term, like intellectually rigorous about how you're presenting that, I think is your best tool as a PM, especially if you know, you work at a startup or you have a really opinionated executive, you know, for better or for worse. I think that's like a really great tool to be like, okay, this is the assumption that we had. This is the thing we wanted to validate. This is how I tried to do that. And these are the results. And this is my conclusion. And I think another sort of wrinkle that I see PMs fall into or challenge that they face is that then they, they're like, my interpretation of this data is the right one. And I think that there's always room when you're working with someone who has tons of experience to say, okay, well, if you were to look at the same set of data, like what conclusions do you come to? Because I think that opens up a discussion versus using your research as like a hammer to shut doors. Wow, is that an important point? And it's one of the things, one of the reasons why I call my firm Approaching One, right? Is because uh, it's a nod to both calculus and statistics and that in calculus, you have limits and ultimately in products, what is a limit? It's something that is a non-deterministic answer. And ultimately in product, we don't have any deterministic answers. We can always approach them, right? That's that's our gig is to approach what's happening because we're never going to know exactly what the market wants or we're never going to know exactly what the customer wants. 
And on the other hand, right, one is uh, certainty and statistics. And to your point and to, to what you just brought up, there is no certainty in any of this. When good research is done, there's um, there are different viewpoints that folks can come to the table with, uh, especially if you use the discipline well and you keep the work in progress low to where different folks can have a chance to look at that research and come together and make the best conclusions through the creative tension that should happen during conclusions. It's the same thing when folks become doctors, they have their dissertation, right? And they have to defend that dissertation. If you're not doing that inside of your product teams or inside of your research teams uh, with folks that are contextual before you're sending that out, how can you be so sure that you have the best outcome or the, the most the closest thing to where your customer or whomever you're talking to, whether it's a whether it's a vendor, whether it's a salesperson, where whether whoever it is in, in, in this organization, if it's not your customer or user, right? Uh, that's important. How close can we can we get that? Right, to get to that. That's important. <laughs> Super important. It's a really good point. And I think it comes back to the of your of your three points we were talking about with research, the visibility aspect. I think everything you're saying gets so much harder if you're not constantly showing your work because like if when you're talking about the sort of big reveal type of thing that makes you really vulnerable to I I would say like you get really emotionally invested in those big reveals and you want them to go well and then you probably don't want feedback versus if you're constantly sharing things and you have a good muscle for that then the feedback is fine and less stressful but yeah if you're if you're just like not making your, your work visible you're not inviting feedback then when you do get feedback it's like traumatic 100%. And I I love this because research can be a canary in the coal mine for a lot of organizational issues. And what I'm hearing, like when when people are doing that, when they're just showing things in, in big ways, big chunks, and there isn't a culture of good creative tension, what that's a sign of, there's no healthy critique in an organization. There's no healthy pushback inside of an organization. This is not a, it is a very fragile organization, right? To use the Nassim Taleb viewpoint there, right? And what happens with fragile organizations is they can't, they're fragile. (laughs) The bump internally of folks not wanting to listen eventually makes its way out into the market. And unless you're very lucky, are extremely well capitalized, which I think most of the folks that are listening to this aren't working at a Facebook or a place where that is true. That's going to fall back into to your product and eventually it'll extinguish your product because you won't have uh, you've taken away things like optionality because you don't want to you don't want to critique each other. And you've gone kind of this way is the way where, yeah, you, you have no way out if things don't work. Yeah. And I think that's a great that's a really good classic pitfall that PMs fall into, which is, okay, I want to be a PM because PMs get to make the decisions. And because I'm a PM, like I'm deciding and this, like, I don't want your feedback because it's not the thing I'm trying to get done. I think that's a really classic early PM MBA background type of thing to do. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, I often joke, right? I don't, I don't know why people want to be PMs because all you do is get yelled at, but <laughs> <laughs> But You're in, not in wrong. Serious, <laughs> ah, yes, I mean both of us have been doing this for some time, right? So yeah, like, we know that. But folks that are coming into this business that are you know have been covered in the 
this idea that all PMs are like Steve Jobs in the medium industrial complex, telling folks, yeah, I mean, you get in there and you just build a roadmap and then people have to follow it, <laughs> which hey, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have one. It'll be out before this one comes out on, on roadmaps with Jana from ProdPad. So we get into this topic. Oh, I love Jana. Yeah, the that's it, right? Folks don't understand that you know you're ultimately a diplomat. You're far more a diplomat than you are a some sort of general in terms of making things happen. And if you don't cultivate a, um, and I think John Cutler speaks to this quite well too, right? If you don't cultivate an environment where folks feel comfortable playing in this tension. And you don't cultivate a place where your decision fitness is quite high in terms of where things are going towards your vision and mission. You end up making a very fragile company that is really existing on the luck of the marketplace. And you may be successful, right? Like maybe, but odds are you're going to have an environment that isn't conducive to impacting the customer and you'll lose. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm curious, from your perspective, what are the other challenges that newer PMs will run into when they're trying to figure out, okay, I want to have good decision fitness. I want to create that tension. I want to make sure we're doing the right research. What other traps have you seen people fall into? Pushing it to the limit, of course. Work in progress. I think a lot of newer PMs, especially if they're quote unquote um, empowered, right? Everybody take a shot because (laughs) Marty Kagan has been brought up. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Inevitable. It's always inevitable. And it all goes back to Kagan. But they think their jobs is to maximize output in in this sort of weird version of Taylorism where we have to keep the engineers busy. We have to, I mean, we have to keep the designers designing. Folks are only looking for output from me. So I better get the output going, right? Because I'm the decision maker. I'm the CEO of the product. And that means we need more, more, and more. And (laughs) all that does is make people hate you. Like (laughs) (laughs) they may not know that you're the source of it, but when they find out, they won't like you at all. And a lot of PM, younger PMs fall into this trap. And, you know, when I host office, I host office hours generally on Fridays with, um, a lot of younger PMs and they'll go, why don't people like me? And I'll say, have you been forcing work down their throats? Like, have you been like, where's your work in progress? And they go, oh, it's high. We're getting out as much as we can. And I go, bingo. <laughs> there you go. That's not your job. And you're making it your job. Yeah. That one's a really hard one because I think it's really easy. And I, I think it might've been Shreyas who had a tweet thread about this. I feel like we are now just name dropping, which I'm giggling at. Um, he had a thread about being high agency. And I think a lot about when when a newer PM has a work in progress or work in process problem, they might not feel like there's anything they can do about it because they might be feeling like that's what is expected of them. And so then they get in this, this awful spiral where you feel like you, you can feel that your team isn't happy. You know that you have too much work in process, but you don't know what to do about it. And you don't feel like you can do about it because you have an executive who's asking, what do I get for it? What am I getting from this team? What are you shipping? What are we getting? So I think that can be a really hard place to be. And then I think that's where 
to bring it home, that's where research can be useful because research isn't just like, what should we do? It's how is it going and how are we impacting our customers? And like, what should we be focusing on? And I think that's another way that you can use research to help like create more room for your team to finish whatever it is that they're trying to work on. 100%. And it's, yeah, that's, that's super important to point out that research is also talking about how things are going because there's often a disconnect, right? Executives are, their heads are in the sky. If their only signal they have of things working is just output, then of course they're going to focus on output because they don't have an alternative to, to really understand what's, what's useful. And again, unless there's a, an executive that will put their hands up and go, wait a second, we're just hearing about output. What's actually going on here? Unless you're that lucky to get someone to do that, then folks are just going to continue about their jobs. Because I, one thing that I, I really want to hit home, and I, I haven't, I don't think we've talked about it yet too much, right? Is everybody else has a full blown job that they're trying to do, and like they don't have time to focus on your research unless you give them a reason. And these executives or whomever we're talking to, whatever stakeholder, only has one idea or one understanding of things working. And that's the only thing they see on their dashboard. That's where they're going to go. They don't have the time to sit there and figure out there. So part of your job, especially for those that are in the director and up places or, or, or positions, part of your, your job really at that point, right, is to make sure <laughs> that these executives have a way to, to track, you know, track the product vision and mission in a way that makes sense to them so that, you know, they can ultimately give the right resources to the people that need them. Yeah, I'm laughing because I just had a situation yesterday. I had a one-on-one with my boss and he made a comment about one of the products that I'm working on. And I was like, well, that's totally wrong. And he's like, well, you haven't told me anything about it. So I just am making assumptions from what I've seen. And it's like, ugh crap, I'm doing exactly that thing I'm not supposed to do, which is I haven't properly figured out how to get you the information so that you're not making logic leaps. Because if I if you leave the door open for logic leaps, they might make a leap that's not the one that you made. And then you get exactly into what you're talking about. So I think that's a good point that like, it's not just, hey, new PMs be better at research. It's, hey, everybody in product, this is, this is relevant to all of us at basically every level. And no matter how senior or experienced you are. I mean, yeah, I... I... I'm not going to sit here and say that I've never made that mistake, which is why I'm writing about it, because right. I've made this mistake plenty right. of times, right, of not giving the executives what they need and then going back and saying they never understand product, right? We can take that in year one of executiveness, but after that, right, it grow up. It's time to grow up and it's time to get these people what they need so that they can make better decisions. That is why you're in the chair. Yep. I love that. Well, Adam, we could keep talking about this obviously forever. I'm curious, sort of one last one last question for you. Like, what is your your main piece of advice that you give people who are new PMs? Like, if you could just help them with one thing, what's the one thing that you try to tell them? Run away. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Like, seriously, I, I think the best thing that any young PM or an associate can do, right, is to look at these first two years of product as one of learning and figure out ways to do, to accentuate that, right? Talk to your manager about having learning sessions. Talk to them about getting you coaching, right? If there's not 
anyone there that can do product or has experience in product. I've worked in places where there are both, right? There's folks with 20 years of product experience and I can sit back and, and learn use working with them. Or, you know, there's nobody with product experience, right? And and it's your job to figure out that piece out. So instead of worrying about SQL, right, and being super technical, which again, we can have another rant about that nonsense. Focus on finding models of success and connecting with them, even if it's as small as a Slack group, and put in the time sometime during your week or month or whatever the time circle is to catch up and learn, right? To to be an active learner. And that'll, that'll suit you far more than any, I think, one piece of advice that I could give. Well, Adam, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking some time to chat. Yay! This was tremendous. <laughs> thank you, Maggie. This yes. has been a wonderful conversation. Awesome. Awesome. 